FBI Studios. This is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Rock. Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning into Truth and Justice. I finally have my voice back, and you are listening to the Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 60, The State's Final Word. This week, we wrapped up the six-week trial against Robert and Christian, and we heard the last thing the jury heard before deliberation, Aki's final word. Today, I'm joined by Bob and Janet, and after a quick break, we're going to dive into your thoughts. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro, driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Of course, we are happy to have Zach back. Uh, and and Jay, it's it's an interesting day. We have we have Zach is back in the studio, and and JV is in her own new studio. Uh, she's not in the closet anymore, and uh, the studio looks great. Janet, thank uh, you. Love the lighting, love the windows, love everything about it. Uh, we've got a very active YouTube chat going on, and we're going to get right into. It, but we've got a few announcements. Uh, thing one. You guys are hearing this on Friday, May 26th. At this point, two days ago, Janet's brand new show called Platonic airs on the Apple Plus or Apple TV Plus. It has come mm-hmm. out. And I think, did you say, Janet, the first three Calling episodes? Calling my show feels like a bit of a stretch. It's Janet's <laughs> By a bit show, of a stretch, I mean. Written, produced, the directed, <laughs> and starring Janet Varney. Uh, a, a show that, uh, by all accounts, is fabulous from what I've heard so far. Uh, which Janet is in as an actor. Yes. Uh, uh, it's called Platonic. It's on Apple. The first three episodes came out uh, on Wednesday. Uh, so check out Platonic. I'm super excited to watch it. Um, that'll be on my agenda for this evening. Uh, also, while you're already looking at your calendar, today is, yeah. again, a Friday, May 26th. If you are somewhere within, I don't know, say, let's say an hour of the Chicago area, really Portage, Indiana is where we're going to be tonight for you guys on Friday. Zach and I will both be performing stand-up comedy at the Decibels. Uh, it's not Decibels Comedy Club. How do they call it? Decibels. Decibels on the Rocks. Decibels on the Rocks in Portage, Indiana. I'll be uh, standing up. Yep. He will be doing standing Before up. Before Bobbitt does the standing up. Yes. Yeah. One stand up and then the other stands up. Uh, but we're going to be doing comedy there tonight. Uh, it starts. The doors open at 7 o'clock. Central time. Central time. Uh, the show starts at 8 uh, tonight, Friday. So if you have another, the, the tickets are only sold at the door and there's 10 bucks at the door. We'd love to see you guys. And if any of you guys show up and let us know that you are from the podcast, we will definitely come over and say hello and hang out with you guys for a couple of minutes. Absolutely. Yep. Maybe awesome. have a drink. I say have a drink, but I haven't been drinking really at all. I'll do it for you. Zach will have two drinks with you and I will have water <laughs> and uh, we'll have a conversation. So that all being said, we're going to get into your contact, but we have uh, a couple big announcements and this is where uh, pay attention. So first things first, next week we are off. There will be no episodes next week. So, so after this on Sunday, we have a main episode as usual. There will be no follow-up next week and there will be no main episode next week. The follow-up for the episode that's coming this Sunday will drop on June 9th. Now, the reason for that is we are making the shift. The way I feel about it, we are going back home. Um, as you guys know, I've, I've, I've let you guys, and I'm still not going to get into many details, but, you know, 
uh, we've talked a, a lot about the the financial situation in the podcasting industry in general, and that things I, I mentioned a while back, things are getting a little uh, a little tighter even for us. Um, all I all I can really tell you is um, that Wondery, who is now owned by Amazon, we are leaving Wondery. Uh, we are leaving Wondery. May thirty first is our last day on Wondery, and June first we are moving back to Audio Boom, which is where we began. Uh, back to Audio Boom. So Audio Boom will be our host. They'll be selling ads for us, all that stuff. Um, I'm very excited about that move, but it is a complicated move um, because of the way. And this is a little inside baseball, but if, if you guys notice, like when you listen, if you listen to this episode and then you go back and say, "I want to listen to season two, you'll hear the same ad in it. It's because everything is inserted dynamically with these markers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I only tell you that to tell you this. Taking things off of our feed off of one platform where all those markers are and then putting it onto a different platform with all those markers and making that transition happen smoothly so that all of you don't have to do anything different. You know, the the idea is when that episode comes on June 9th, you open up your podcast player, whatever you use, and the next episode will be there like nothing ever happened. That process is going to take some time. It's going to be very tricky for us to do it, but we've got it figured out how to do it. But the best way to make sure that nothing gets screwed up in the middle of it is to do the episode on Sunday and then take a week to get everything transferred over. Part of that, too, and this is where a lot of you guys are always asking how you can help out, how you can help out. Um, This is something I've never done before, uh, but if anybody is interested in helping we have over a thousand episodes over these last eight years. As I mentioned, all of the ads drop into in our because probably half of our income comes from people watching old stuff. So, like a lot of people will come in and they want to hear the Anansi Ed case, they listen to season one, or the Ed H case, they listen to season two, or the West Memphis three case. Um, because we have those ad markers in there, we're able to still get paid even when you listen to one of the old episodes. When we move from Wondery over to Audio Boom, all of those ad markers go away. So one of the things that I'll be doing next week is going through each and every one of those thousand episodes and inserting new ad markers. And it's going to take forever. There's no way I'll get through it in a week. So we're going to pick through it. Um, But if that's something that you have the time uh, and, and you're interested in helping out, I could definitely use some people um, if we could, you know, divide up to kind of divide and conquer. And if I can, you know, have one person, if you can work on, you know, the first half of season one and you can work on the second half of season two, then maybe we can knock those out because there's going to be definitely through the transition, a period of time where there's where there's there's obviously no income coming in because there's no episode and we're getting those markers placed. Um, But it is going to be a very, very difficult process. Uh, and it's not difficult. It's just very time consuming. So if anybody is interested in helping out with that, shoot us an email at theories at truth and justice pod.com. Uh, and the subject line, just put, you know, ad markers or whatever you want to put in there. Um, and I'll get with some people cause it, 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 I would, I would very much love it if we had some help doing all that. Cause otherwise it's going to be me doing it for weeks on end, trying mm. to get stuff markers placed on that. Um, so anyway, that is what for those of you that are just listening and they're like, shut up, Bob. That is the only reason I explained all that is that that's the reason why we're off next week. Also, we just have a lot of stuff going on for me personally right now. My the day you're listening to this, my son Quentin graduates from high school, uh, which is which is super exciting. So the graduation tonight on Sunday, the day the main episode drops, uh, we have the graduation party, which is here. And for any of you that have ever um, had a graduation party at your home, you know that there is a to do list a mile long to get all that done. So there's just uh, we're juggling a lot. Right now, all that stuff is going on. Um, so it'll be a nice time to take a break from producing episodes for that one week. Uh, and also JV's traveling that week, too, right? You're going to be in Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. We have a few questions from uh, the YouTube chat about this. So Nick just wants to make sure the feed stays the same. Yes. Yep. That That is part of the reason why that we have that we have that break there. Oh, is, thanks, Zach. I didn't see the reply. Yeah. Is 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 so that what they do is they they, they transfer the RSS feed to the different hosts, which is all very complicated. I don't understand it, but yeah, the reason we're doing all that is so you won't have, you listeners won't have to do anything different. Okay. And the people who are interested in doing it, who don't totally understand how that would work, should they just email you and you'll further explain probably don't need to do it here. 
Yeah, no. Well, yeah, I'll, if, I'll explain it for ex- email. If, you, if he explains and you guys are like, I can't do that or I don't want to do that, then then fine. Yeah. And if nobody and and and, and then probably what I'll end up doing is, is probably end up hiring or contracting some people to do it. If there's not people that want to volunteer to help out, but I, but we do get a ton of requests from people just like I, I want to find a way to help, and this is a way that you could help that doesn't that, that could just be donating time. And if not, and don't anybody feel obligated? If you can't do that, then we'll contract somebody else um, out to do it. But if somebody asks, do you need to have a lot of program and technical knowledge? No, not at all. So it's it's like you look at you bring up the screen of the episode and you look at the sound wave, and then like you go through the place where you scroll to the place where you think the ad's supposed to be. And you put a cursor there and put insert ad marker. And then you go to the next one and then you insert ad marker. So it's 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 not complicated. It's just time consuming. Okay. Uh, oh, and last thing, and then we'll get right into the episode here. Grayson wanted to know what about True Crime Live. Uh, we won't be doing that next week either. We, we do plan on, I think we do plan on Janice still coming back and doing those. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've just had tons of stuff going on right now. Um, so we will definitely be doing so. But, but probably not next week, especially Janet's traveling. And I'll be, again, buried in ad marker hell for... <laughs> for the for the following week. Uh, uh with that, did I hit all of the housekeeping things? Housekeeping. Yep. That's uh, it. That's it. All right. Uh what'd you guys think of uh Aki's rebuttal? Well, I can tell you for me personally, I listened to it three times. I, I listened to it once, just straight as just coming and listening to it as a listener. I listened to it a second time pretending that I knew nothing, that I didn't know any of the evidence. I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. The third mm-hmm. time I listened to it kind of hypercritically. Um, coming and listening to it with the presence of like not knowing anything, he lawyered the hell out of it. Yeah. he. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it's very convincing. Um, if you don't, you know, I mean, obviously they were presented all the evidence. The jurors were presented all the evidence. They have to sift through it. But just on this as closing arguments, he lawyered the hell out of it. And I mean, it's it's very convincing to me. There was, and I saw some people saying that they thought it was like if, if you were just if you were a jury hearing it, it sounded mm-hmm. very convincing. Now, on a on a critical front, you know, at the very end, he alludes to something that we've talked about several times, which is you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. And he basically comes out and says, You're not innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. At the very end of it, he basically says that. He says, the defense did not prove that they were innocent. Mm-hmm. They did not put up a reasonable story that they were innocent. They put all the burden back on the defense when the, the burden is supposed to be on the state to prove guilt. Yeah. I was surprised that that was allowed to fly. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, there's not, you're, it's really frowned upon to uh, object during those and the judges very rarely sustain the objection. But when I was, when I was reading that and then reading it aloud, it was just like, that's exactly how I took it is like, mm-hmm. he, like he's saying, you know what you guys know about how they're innocent until proven guilty? Well, actually, they didn't prove their innocence. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he that's 100 percent what well I felt like he said. I mean, is that he put the burden back on the, the defense. They did not come up with a reasonable story to present innocence. Yeah. Which they don't have to do. Yeah. I think it's a really good observation because I, I, I thought the same thing. Uh, Janet, what do you think? Uh, well, real quick. Could you remind us how many days the actual trial was? Not the deliberation, but the trial itself. <sighs> I can't. It, it was about six weeks, yeah. Uh, I believe. So about a month and a half. Um, I don't know how many of those days we were in in court, not in court, and stuff. I just wanted to put that back into perspective when you think about the things that are being referenced in closing arguments. That mm-hmm. you know, people are going to have to go back and actually check to see if they're accurate or if the thing, the last thing they hear is sort of, even though they're not supposed to, if they sort of take that as gospel. We talked about that a lot. Um, I mean, I agree with with everything that you guys are saying. Um, I, I, there are we have a lot of great comments, so I'm not going to double up on anything that people have said in the notes that we're going to be getting to from Facebook. But um, I guess I I just wrote down a couple of things that bothered me that again aren't covered elsewhere. I hated the curious George thing. Uh, that that lumps oh. into some other stuff we'll talk about in a minute here, but. Um, I understand the approach and I'm sure it's effective or maybe it's been proven to be effective and that's something that's worked for him in the past. But um, I don't know. It just felt like such a stretch. It felt like this doesn't really is this is not necessary for me to say. And it's actually not really a great uh, metaphor. But I'm talking about the fact that I have a family and I'm talking about cute stuff. So that's how you remember that I'm a really nice guy who has a family. That's what it felt like to me. It just felt Mm -hmm. very like, you know. Hey everybody! I'm a family guy. I love my, I love my kiddo. 
that's cool. He's got a cute doll. I'm just a regular person like you guys. It's like, that's what, really what's the doll saying? Anyway, to move on. It just felt like, this, well, uh, he felt like he was shoehorning that in just to mm-hmm. like, you know. The same thing with guy. the My Cousin Vinny. I, I get there's a little relevance, but the, the, the My Cousin Vinny where he's like, I like that movie. Yeah. Like, what the hell does that have to do with it? But I mean, I, I'm right. sure it's effective to, again, to sort of like, how do you, how do you make yourself, yourself one of the jury? Mm-hmm. So I don't, I'm not criticizing the idea of that being effective. That, that just rubbed me the wrong way. And I, and I 100% am biased in this scenario because I, I'm so I glad you said that it, because, but. you know, I did my best to read it. I mean, obviously not a voice actor as you, as you yourself are, but I was trying to like, like just really try to be in the character and try to sound like the, and when I was reading the part about the doll and the, Hey, 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 hell, like I didn't even, I was so baffled by it. I didn't even know how to present it. And uh-huh. it was like, why in the world, what relevance does that have? But now that you say that, I wonder if that was it. If it was like, Hey, I'm a family guy. I, I got do. a little kid. I mean, that's probably what I would do. Uh, I also thought that the statement he made, um, he made a statement in here that it was, we've had this happen before with some of the prosecution statements, but where I heard it and I thought, yes, that is exactly what's happening here, but you're saying it's happening over there, which was the most dangerous kind of untruth is the kind that's mixed in with the truth. I thought, well, you could certainly apply that both ways um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on this one. Uh, And then, and then I just like, you know, there were, I'll, I'll stop with that, but um, I do understand why some folks, and we'll get into it, said that they did find it fairly compelling. And I think there were some moments in there, like the double standard, when he warns everyone of the double standard defense. Like, you can't say that it doesn't matter here, but it does matter here. I'm not saying he was right, but I feel like that would be compelling to a juror. I feel like you would think like, oh, yeah, that's not really fair. You can't, you know. Without getting into the nuance of it, I was so frustrated with that. You know, I was so frustrated with that because it was such. It was, in my opinion, it was such a mischaracterization. What they're uh, they're saying, they're just like, you know, on one hand, they're like, oh, well, you should have interviewed these guys, but you know, you know, back then, or you should have tested this or tested that, but then. But then, you know, when we do go back and interview people, they're like, oh no, we don't want you to do that, or we don't want you because there's new tech. It's like that's not at all what they were saying you know they they bring that that up with people like like chad bernbaum right where it's like yeah you did interview him in 2007 he did explain everything when it was fresh in your mind and then you came to him 10 years later and kept pushing him until you got a different story that's not the same thing as them being like we want you to investigate more but then when you do we don't want you to investigate more which is the way he characterized yeah, it I was, that one fell kind of flat to me personally if i were a juror that that I think did mm-hmm. for me. That kind of fell flat. That was like, eh, whatever. Like the double standard thing. That's a little cleaner of an argument. I can kind of understand how you might get. So I felt like that was part of the that, double standard right? thing, where it was. It oh, was it something is. It of a is. Different I'm just part. saying, yeah. like, I felt like that was. He said it in that most compelling way, and then the rest of that felt like fluff. It just sort of felt like, yeah, yeah. You say you don't want us to do that. Yeah, I got it. I got you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want real quick from the from the YouTube chat. I just want to. Uh, Wish listener Chris well, and and I hope that he's he's doing okay. Um, he just said that his chair broke and he's stuck on the floor. So, uh, Chris, I hope that works out for you. And uh, Janet, go ahead. Okay, moving on. Uh, well, let's get into some questions. Um, Chris uh, W says Christian was not indicted because he was seventeen at the time of the crime, but charged the same as Robert. How does that work? Uh, I don't know. To be honest with you, I remember hearing something about that where there was like. One went to the grand jury and one didn't, and it had to do with the fact that he was a minor when the crime occurred. I, I, I couldn't tell you the legal process of that. All I know is, you know, at the end of the day, they both ended up at trial. I don't know how that how that worked out. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Jenna and Sarah G. both had a, kind of a same themed um, request, which was, I'll read um, Sarah's. After covering the three closings and the rebuttal, which elements do you feel influenced the jury, both positive and negative, and why? I think that the defense on both sides were very good, did a very good job of driving home the fact that it's the prosecution's job to prove beyond a reasonable doubt what happened and that they did not do that. I think that if those if those points hadn't hit home, we wouldn't have seen a 10-day deliberation. 
Um, and again, you know, we've seen the email from our alternate juror who said apparently like they came out of trial 50, 50, this wasn't close. It was like half and half at the beginning of that. So I think that, I think that's the best thing that the defense did was really drive Like they have to prove this to you, not just convince you that it probably or maybe happened. They have to prove it to you. And they didn't do that. Yeah. On the other side, I think that, that, that what hit home the most was them trying to it was was the state presenting Robert Christian as giving as that their interviews told a story that was completely disproven by the phone records mm. the way they presented it i feel like that had to have the most impact and again you know from what we've seen from like juror, there, there was a few posts from the jurors like after the trial but then we have that that letter mm-hmm. or the email from the one juror um you know where they said you know ultimately the phone records and the stories didn't line up. Um, and I think that that was the most effective thing they did, um, yeah. which is one of the reasons I'm so frustrated by it, because the phone records were not accurate. And as I, and I've said before, but just to really clarify, there's all this talk about that 713 call. If they could have been going up the mountain or maybe they could have been going this way or they more likely were this or more likely will that. I don't I don't care which one you believe about that. What was more impactful, I think, for the jury, where they were able to say, this is this is proven different from what they said, was when they talked about the call to Sacred Heart, you know, and, and they presented that with evidence in the phone records because it was incomplete data, as though they made the call to Sacred Heart while they were at home at Robert's house, connected to Tower 707, and then after they found out that the church was canceled, then they went south. I think that was, if as Zach said, like if I listen to it, like I don't know any, I don't know nothing about nothing, right? And I'm just listening to what they're telling me that the evidence says. That is incredibly compelling. You know, when, when they say we called Sacred Heart, we ended up, we, it was canceled, and so then we ended up going to Christians, and the in the state seems to have proven with the information they have. That they were still sitting at Robert's house when the Sacred Heart called uh, call happened. C- Christian's house is north of there, and yet they then left and went south, tied in with that. And then look at the, you got this Tower Seven Forty Five connection. Like they left and headed to the crime scene. To me, that was the most compelling part of it. And no one can disagree that that's incorrect. No one can disagree with the fact. That the call to Sacred Heart Church ended on Tower 740 or 705 at the south end of the valley. The jury never heard that. They heard that the entire call happened on Tower 707 mm-hmm. in Cathedral City. And, and I think that was the most compelling. If I was a juror and didn't know this, I, I, I could totally see saying there's no excuse for this. They said they were there. Yes. And then they went north, but they made that call. And then they went south. That 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 would be con- incredibly compelling. Yeah. And sadly, it is 100% false. Mm, that's huge. Jennifer says, I noticed Aki said the foam and water sprayed on the wheelbarrow handle uh, and may have, could have sprayed on that and may have done away with DNA on it or fingerprints on it. Maybe the jurors thought that then the foam and water did that to the DNA on Becky's socks. I mean, that's basically, is that he also sort of, did he let that be another reason why the socks didn't have what they needed? or? Did he sort of leave that to the wheelbarrow stuff and make the socks about only the DNA that could have been picked up all over the house? I think in his rebuttal, it was it could have been picked up by anybody. I, if I remember correctly, in his in his initial close, he talked about like the foam and water on the on the socks. He didn't say it, but he kind of implied that it could, you know, it could mess up those profiles. And then later it was. And again, there's another it's another thing that I, I, I don't think that landed. To me, is is being particularly strong for the state, but I also don't think it landed for the defense in the in the fact that what was never, I don't believe, was ever brought out to them when he says, "Think about all the people that," because he says, "Think about all the people that were at her house that week." I don't know that the jury ever heard that all of the people he named were ruled out as contributors, right? As the for the DNA on the on that sock, and I think that was a huge miss by the defense because they had that information. 
but I don't think it was ever brought out that all of those people were, and maybe they were thinking along the lines more of alternate suspects, but they should have been thinking about like, listen, anyone we know that may have left that DNA. And I see anyone we know of, it doesn't mean there weren't other people there, but you know, Javier and, and, and Bo and Jacob, Ron, all those people that he named John and Vicky, we know it wasn't their DNA. And, and I think they missed that. And again, he continues to say, you know, foam and foam and water on the wheelbarrow when in fact there was no foam used on the wheelbarrow. Right. But I, I do think he, in the rebuttal, when he does talk about that, that the socks could pick up DNA from around your house, I think that actually landed pretty well. Mm-hmm. I do feel like that landed pretty well. Not as far as landed as in like, oh, well, clearly that, but I mean, like, it's a reasonable assumption to be like, for, for me as a listener to go, Oh, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, that, I agree right. with you there. I, I'm just thinking of things like if I was sitting as a juror, that'd be like, make me think they're guilty. Where to me, that falls more into the category of, okay, well, like you said, like that's a reasonable explanation for why their DNA, like, but then that puts you in the mindset of, so then maybe their DNA could have been there, but it got washed away. But for me as a juror, that wouldn't have been compelling. You know, it, it wouldn't have made me think they're more guilty. But certainly it would have been a way to kind of explain away questions, maybe. Yeah. Um, I'm I, I'm so tempted to go in so many directions right now. But really quickly, as long as we're talking about the DNA thing and the wheelbarrow thing and then talking about the business card and how um, Christian's DNA shouldn't have been on there, I do just want to quickly shout out folks like Danielle and Kathy. And it sounds like people were posting about this outside of the follow-up post as well on Facebook But um, just to read Danielle's, when I heard that he referenced Mr. Rogers and the one of these things is not like the other, he lost all credibility. I think this is a bit tongue in cheek. How do you not do your due diligence in your closing arguments? I literally said out loud while listening, as did I, Danielle and Kathy and many other people. What are you talking about? That was Sesame Street. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a that was a big miss. And, and, And real quick in the in the chat, Montana. I think makes a good point here where she says she thinks the defense wanted to be able to implicate Javi and Jacob, even if they couldn't point at them specifically regarding the um, uh, not bringing up the fact that they were ruled out as contributors for the DNA on the sock. And, and that very well could be a, strate- you know, a strategic, I think, a losing strategy. Obviously, it was a losing strategy. Mm-hmm. But if they're trying to, without saying it, maybe kind of give the jury the implication that you know maybe Javi and Jacob are – good suspects here, Mm -hmm. then they wouldn't want to come out and say Javi and Jacob were ruled out as contributors of the DNA on the sock. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, And just, I also want to jump back to Nick uh, on the YouTube chat who says, why, if the plan was to hike, then why call the church? And I'm going to tie that in with Kate's Facebook question. Was there ever a bill of particulars provided by the prosecution that lay out their theory on how the crime actually happened? The defense may have had to file a demand for it in California. But the reason I wanted to put those two things together is that, again, we've talked about this a lot, but there's a lot of sort of, well, this happened so we know this, and this happened so we know this, and that's how we know that they did this crime. But did they ever stitch together like, well, they probably weren't going to really go for the hike at first, and that's why they called the church about mass. But then they did go for the hike, but then something happened mm-hmm. unexpectedly that caused this death. And that's why you could even find for manslaughter from Becky. If this wasn't premeditated, perhaps you find that something just happened out there in the area of disturbance. But if you believe that, then you can't believe that they're creating an alibi for themselves about the church. Like, so how did they reconcile or do they ever try to reconcile? Like, here's how these pieces don't contradict each other. This all makes sense for these reasons. It's never laid out clearly other than in the closings. And it's kind of a let's just not look over. Here. To me, it's like, let's just not look over here. You know, they never they never really explain. And, and, and they leave that like, you know, we don't know why they were doing that. We don't know why they they, they kind of. Presented as though the call to church might have been to create an alibi, but then also that maybe they were going to go and something changed. They don't address that, like, like, like they, and again, another big miss by the defense, I think, because a lot of the stuff, obviously, the prosecutor isn't going to point this stuff out, but the defense should have. Like, if they were going, then why were they ignoring her calls? She's calling them right. over and over again, and they keep ignoring her calls. Why would they do that if they're going? Why would they call the church if they're going? 
and I think that would have been a better strategy in the closing, like to me by the defense would have been to say, think about this. Just think about this in practical real life terms. If you were intending to go up to the place and you are intending to go meet her, why would you be calling the church to see if they have mass? Why would you be ignoring all of the calls from the person that you're on your way to meet? How does that make sense? And they never did that. And right. I think that was a that was a mistake. But the prosecu- the prosecution just kind of just danced around it. Like again, in my opinion, it was just like, we're not going to talk about that because I don't want you to think about that. I want you to think about the fact that they're home when they called church and then they decided to go south. We can see that from the phone records. And so they just kind of hit on the parts that fit with their narrative. And then they added information to the narrative, like the we can tell you know we can tell by where the gas cans are that they went upstairs and poured the gas and they ran I out of gas. I still don't understand that. Like that, it's some, impossible. That seems like it's such an important thing for him. Like that's another thing I wanted to ask you about because I don't think it comes up here. But he he really hammers home this gas can thing. But I don't understand why that's important to it being the two of them who did this. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's I think wrong, it had more but to do, also, what's hap- like, why is that so important to him? Aki, I, mean? I, th- I think that it has to do with kind of my view of the tone of his rebuttal was a lot about protecting his credibility. Hmm. Right? So it, it's a lot of, yeah, they say this and they say this, but it's just truth mixed in with lies. And they're claiming, you know, there's the double standard. There's all this. A lot of that to me is, is to me, him taking his last word to reestablish credibility with the jurors. And truthfully, they made him look really dumb with that gas thing. It's like, he told you that the gas cans were up there. There was no floor. There wasn't an upstairs. That's not something you could, they just, that's just made up. It's a fairy tale. And so I think that he, I, and it is just my opinion, but I think that he comes back to that because maybe he felt, and, w- and one thing we don't have is, the ability that, to have been sitting in the room and watching the jury's the jury's body language, right? You know, yes, maybe you know, point. he could be watching them and be like, "Oh, that landed." Like they like they agree with him on that. So I want to come back and now establish, like, yeah, they say that, but look at you can tell by these cans. Look and look at the garage. Look, you can. T-. And again, completely misstates the evidence when he when he talks about the garage and and how clearly there's so much heat and fire in that garage. That's not true. There's no fire damage in the garage. Mm-hmm. The damage in there is from the firefighters pulling the ceiling down from the attic. Mm-hmm. Nothing is burnt in the garage. Uh, is, and, and so that, that was just incorrect the way he said it. But to me, that's what I got out of it was he's like, no, no, I wasn't making up a fairy tale. I was telling you something accurate. They're trying to spin this. They don't have credibility. I do. Yeah. And 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 I'll just the other piece of that that I'll point out. Um, and again, I am not saying I would do this any differently. It's just. Because I'm coming at it from a person who is now biased in favor of feeling yeah. like this is wrong. Um, I also thought this sort of like tossing off of like, I mean, I'm not going to stand here and rebut everything they said in their closing arguments. That would be ridiculous. And we'd be here all day. In my mind, yeah. I was like, I mean, that's probably what you should do. If you actually have rebuttals that are fair and true of each them. of those things, I think probably your job is to address those. That kind of makes me feel like you actually can't do that and then also at the end when he or when he was like um yeah i have a bunch more stuff here but i'm not going to waste your time with it also felt very like that's again that's probably what i would do but also i did not go to school to be an attorney so it felt a little bit like sophomoric to me to just be like anyway do 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 this they're wrong about that 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 that. well listen i won't waste your time with all these other things because you have important things to do you're the jury uh but just trust me when i say there's a bunch of other stuff here just trust me that they're wrong about a bunch of other stuff well way he talks he talks off the dna for the the gas cans he just kind of like well you guys can imagine why there's no dna because the fire he doesn't like there's no evidence of that there's no you know i mean he just like you can kind of figure out why yeah and um by the way patty in the chat says tiffany explained that there was another level in the garage yeah there was there was there was an attic space up there there was like a staircase that went to an attic and the fire did get into the attic space but that's where the gas cans were found. And Aki is saying that they they carried them up the stairs in the house and threw the gas cans up there, which is impossible. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, I skipped around a little bit because I liked the flow of things that were happening. But I'm going to pop over to Bridget. I'm going to read Bridget's, but Rachel had a similar comment. I felt that the closing provided was compelling. 
I can clearly understand how they got convicted as you uh, as you have presented the case well. I would love to see the visual aid he provided in his closing next to the actual graphic that was admitted into evidence during the trial. That part of the closing made me twitch a little bit. I know our brains tend to recall more easily the first and last thing we hear or read, and if his visual aid to which the defense objected is different, it would be very misleading. Uh, I know he claimed it was similar, but, like, how was that okay? Um, And Chrissy had something similar, um, just, you know, the sort of idea of this being able to blend things together and show something different and that that just gets kind of like do you think that that was significant or was it just a quickie thing that actually probably didn't matter anyway well one thing i think it was a great representation of what i've been talking about of as far as the leeway that yes that the lawyers get during closing i mean he to answer the question too like i know i don't i don't know what it was because it wasn't admitted into evidence so i have no i don't even know what they were talking about um, because, you know, they're, they're, they're talking about this, this picture or diagram that's not in evidence. Um, and the fact that he was able to do that and then just and say, well, there's another one that was similar. And the judge would be like, oh, well, again, the jury, after six weeks of trial, you guys remember what, you know, that apparently there was one thing that was similar to this and you guys know the difference. So let's just move on. Let's keep going. Well, you can even say that and going back to what Chrissy was saying, you can even tie that into the idea of like, this is actually perfect, Chrissy. So um, I don't know if this is what you meant, but well played if it was the idea of saying like, this isn't the diagram, but it's a diagram similar to that. And the guns that were used in the crime, we don't have those, but they had access to guns, which is basically the same thing. And Chrissy Mm -hmm. says, or the casing you covered where. The, they were like, and this is the butcher knife, even though it wasn't an, the butcher knife. Like the way you, yeah. you you sort of get around, sneak around those pesky facts and find a way to use language that implies yeah. that all the evidence you need is there. When really you're saying, well, we don't actually have any of that particular evidence. But like, I mean, close enough, right? With the shoes, guys, right? Anybody? Yeah. And that's where I like, and, and again, I'm not an attorney and I've had... A year to read every fuck every word of this for you know over this time, but I always get to this point and I'm like, oh, I wish so badly like I could have delivered the closing arguments for the defense because I don't want you know like what strategy would work and and again I'm, it's not to knock the defense because you know we're not in the moment where they're there and also I don't know the rules of law, uh, but it's stuff like that like you mentioned the guns, you know like I would want to say like the prosecutor has to prove to you. That they had access to a forty caliber or 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 ten millimeter gun. There has been no evidence presented that they had any access to that. The prosecutor used this drive test to show that they barely could have made it. And actually, again, it was a minute short, but um, that they barely could have made it back. You know, done done a fifty two minute drive in thirty eight minutes. But in order to do that, they'd have to leave the scene immediately. They have to prove to you that someone left in a car. There's no evidence. What evidence is there that someone left in a vehicle? There's not, you know, to go through like point by point by point. Uh, it, it again, I, I'm speaking when I say that I'm speaking to like myself as a juror, what I would be listening for. And for me, like, I want to hear, like, cut through all this narrative fairy tale nonsense bullshit and just give me the fact what was proven and what wasn't proven. And I feel like if there was 12 of me on the jury and someone did that, we would have acquitted. Right. So let's go over to Chris W. Uh, Chris with a K, I know you're in here as well in YouTube. Chris says, wasn't their alibi verified according to court testimony? Uh, And then Chris references a Desert Sun article from May of 2014, which thank you so much, uh, Valeria and Chris, for um, getting that posted over to me in the follow-up so I could pull some quotes. Um, They say, investigators also found no one who could vouch for Pape and Smith's whereabouts that night including at the middle school in Cathedral City, where paintball guns could easily have been mistaken for real weapons. Paintball guns, to our knowledge, would have attracted a tremendous amount of attention, Michaels testified, but there were no reports, no calls for service, no evidence that we could determine. And I will add that um, I had read that article before, and it's a real tough read because there is a ton of misinformation in it. And I'm not blaming the reporter. I'm sure they were just reporting on whatever they were told or how are they... You know, they thought they were being accurate, but there's a lot that is wrong in that article. And, and that's disturbing. one of them. It's the thing, disturbing. the part you just read is one of them. So if you didn't catch what the, so so basically what Michaels told the press was. 
Essentially, we know that they weren't where they said they were, which was behind James Workman playing paintball. And we know that because no one called 911 saying someone was back there with guns. Right. That's how they, so that, that's what they, that's what is he's that saying. Is that what he told that, the press or is, is what, because I think maybe Chris is looking at the word testified, like Michael's testified. Or is, there... it, maybe it was in his, his testimony. Okay. But regardless what he's saying, first of all, anybody who's, even today, and there's more buildup around there now than there was then. I've been there a year ago. Behind that school is desert. There's nothing back there. No one could see anyone back there from anywhere, from any house. That's why people, not just Robert and Christian, regularly went back there and did paintballing. Because it was a normal thing they would do because it's in the middle of nowhere with no houses around. It's just a huge, empty here, I would say big empty field out there. It's just empty desert mm-hmm. with with nothing nothing around. Paintball guns do not make a sound anywhere close to what a real gun makes. Yeah, a mm-hmm. fire a, a discharge of a firearm. I mean, is a violent concussion that people would hear. A paintball gun is is it's literally a CO two cartridge yeah. that just is pressurized air. Yeah, I mean, and I've done, I've I've played paintball. I feel like it sounds like this. <laughs> it's exactly yeah. what it sounds like, right? And let's not forget the reason they were back there was because the gun was broken and they wanted to test it out. And when they got out there, it still didn't work. Right. So like like for them to to spin that into, hey, we did our due diligence since no one called 911. Let's take that's, that same logic. Book. Let's use their logic. Since no one saw them playing paintball. They were not there. Okay. No one saw them at the crime scene. No one heard the gunshots in the crime scene, so I guess no one there was There was no gun. Right. No, yeah, there, there must not have been a gun because nobody heard the shots at the crime right. scene. Yeah. No, no one saw a car leaving. Yeah, right. No one reported seeing a car leaving, so there was no car. Like, that logic is 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 ridiculous. Yeah. Like I don't even say people have said like you keep saying there was no car. I'm not saying there's no car. I'm saying there's no proof there was a car. Right. There's no evidence to support the fact that there was a car. Right. Does that mean there couldn't have been a car? No. In the circumstances surrounding it, I think it's unlikely, but that's beyond besides the point. I there's there's no there's no evidence to support it. But but the same side that is saying even though no one saw them, even though no one saw a car, you still have to believe they were at the crime scene. They're, the same people are saying, since no one saw them and no one heard the paintball guns are reported here in the paintball guns, they couldn't have been there. Right. Yeah, it's a huge stretch. And again, frustrating article in general because there's a lot wrong there. Uh, Richard did ask, you know, did law enforcement question them on how they were doing that in the dark um, back there? Uh, anyway. No, but there's. I think there's there's lights back there in the back of it because it's like parking lot that goes all the way back up to it. Gotcha. And then right beyond beyond there. Okay, great. Uh, I don't know where you guys are with this in your conversation, but I did see that you did reply to a Facebook post from Steve. Yeah. Steve says going back to the Xbox. Xbox, Microsoft would have all login information going back to the creation of the account. So as long as the Xbox was connected, Xbox was connected to the internet, they would be able to confirm the alibi. On top of that, if they were playing an online game, such as Call of Duty, the game developer would have that data as well. I know this because I work for Activision, who makes Call of Duty. Um, any any extra stuff you can report back on that, Bob? Or No, other than I, I immediately responded to him. Pass that information along to the family and Robert's wife B is checking with them. I'm a little skeptical on the thing. What they, what they would have to know, they'd have to remember what their what their usernames were or their IDs were at the time, which they may very well. I, I'm not. Here's the thing, though. I'm not a gamer at all, so I don't know. Like 2006 seems a little early to me. For people to be gaming online. Now that so, said, so it was active then. You could do that, but no, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Everything you said, and that's what we've read before, is that they have these logs if you're online. The yeah. system doesn't have a log. If you play a game online, there's a log. Yeah. If you're just playing a game, there's no log. And yeah. in 2006, I agree. I don't know. I do believe it was active. I think Xbox Live. I think that. I think that predates 2006. But 
that's saying that they had to have it. They used it. I don't think we did any, me personally, or any of my friends did any online gaming till almost 2010. Yeah, and that's that's what I had said. It was it was it John? Was that the name of the the poster uh, Steve. there? Steve. Steve. I'm sorry. Um, uh, to Steve. I and he he said that uh, Call of Duty Three came out in 2006, and that had online multiplayer. So it's it, it's possible, and we're looking into it, and hopefully that's the, that's the case. Because um, that would be a ba- like. I mean, that, how how would you argue with that if they if they can show that their usernames are online playing the game? That being yeah. said, it would have to be, you know, if they were playing Call of Duty two, then they couldn't have been online, or if they just weren't online yet. I I remember my kids around 2012 starting to play online, um, like like play like uh, with other people on on the internet. I don't I so but it, it what Zach said. It was available then. I don't know that it was super popular then. And also, like, I didn't have broadband. Like, I still had dial-up internet until, like, 2004 or five, I think. So, I don't know. So, but anyway, we'll move on. But we're looking into it. We're okay. looking into that. Great. Uh, Tracy says, okay, there's all these other pieces of evidence found in the list of process stuff they gathered, and they weren't tested for anything, nor no prints or DNA. Didn't the defense see this list of items? And if so, why didn't they insist that they get them tested? Or is that something they can't do? I know we touched on this last week. Um, And then Rachel also asked about the cell phone sector data and did they never see it? So we just want to circle back because it's been a while since we fully talked about that. But that's another situation where that information was not with the rest of the data. Correct? With the cell phone. Well, the sector data stuff? Yeah. When you, when it was found in this camp or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was in the discovery, but the, dis- the discovery is, it's, it's thousands and thousands of pages and folders upon subfolders upon subfolders, um, on this drive. And it's, it's not like there, there's folders that's, that, that say that it's cell phone data and stuff from Verizon and it's all there neatly packaged together. And then there's this folder, uh, from uh that's titled like wills in some number which is the the officer that that pulled it so it was in a different spot in the file it was in the file but it was in a different spot in the file um and a lot of this answers a lot of these questions i just sadly i don't think i think the state i I think the defense missed a lot of stuff i mean obviously the sector data is a huge miss um you know, part of you says wants to say like, well, you can't fault them too much because the state came to them and said, we don't have it. We've never had it. We never pulled it. And it's too late for us to pull it. So we can't, we can't have it. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but it's still your responsibility to read the entire file. I, the fact that they missed the sector data to me tells me they didn't read the entire file, which means they could have missed things like. You know, uh, uh, Valeria mentioned a couple weeks ago uh, that uh, or um, Teresa found a couple weeks ago that, you know, like Sharon Coleman said she saw uh, John and Vicky walking behind the house and she saw Becky and Javier walking. Uh, You know, those were good things that defense should have been able to use to explain the the footprints back there, at least at least to present an alternate reason why they may have been there. And they missed that. There's just a lot of things that they missed. As far as like testing, um, and again, as I said, I, I don't know exactly how that process would work in in California, but I, I don't. I get the feeling they didn't have a good enough grasp on the case file to know even what they should be asking mm-hmm. for to be done. Okay, okay. Uh, Lori and Alex asked uh, a couple of other people actually. I think also asked about this reference to Tiffany's testimony that's in the rebuttal. Um, will you be covering Tiffany's testimony? Is there a transcript? Uh, and Laurie says it's one of the things that the foreman cited as influencing the jury's verdict, which I'm not sure if I know yeah, where I, that came from. I guess we went through Tiffany's all her interviews and not so we much didn't, her. Yeah, we definitely didn't cover her trial testimony. So testimony. one of the other things that I'm doing this week is I'm doing kind of an audit of the testimonies that we have not that we didn't cover specifically on the show. And I'll be posting all of those testimonies so we have the complete trial record up. So those will all be going up um, this week. Over the over next week while we're not doing episodes, and I'll post about it on social media when all that's up there. 
Okay, great. Yeah, because I know Kate and Teresa were asking about Ron's uh, Ron's testimony also being referenced in the rebuttal. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Uh, Kate also says, um, just to circle back to this, I think we've talked about this before, but Robert's first interview, he seemed clear that the car that they were driving was the old, but Christian said in both interviews, it was one of his dad's cars, the white Acura. How would Robert get that wrong? And then also, were any cars tested for evidence in the raid in 2007? I think those are things we've covered, but... Um, my memory of the whole discussion around Robert uh, when that happened was that he was asked what kind of car Christian drove mm-hmm. and did not ever get to say, what are you that's driving not that what night? we were driving, though. And there, you re- there truly is. And I say this again, like back when this happened, I was very, very open to the possibility that the guys were guilty because I just wanted to have that open mind. Um, and And even back then, it was clear that he was like going to say something else. And he was not given the opportunity to do yeah, so. Yeah, I wish I should have pulled the the audio like I've done in the past years, though I could play it for you. But I, I can almost I can almost recite the transcript from it because I've been over because this argument comes up. You know, people keep circling back to this. Well, he lied about he said he was driving an Olds when the Olds was in the shop, which I don't think that's what Kate's doing. By the way, I don't think that she's no, no, no. But but up. people Just, have brought yeah. that argument in a lot of times. Um, it wasn't clear at all what what happened was Michael said, "What does Christian or what does Christian drive?" And 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 I'll say I'm paraphrasing because I don't know if this is exactly what it was, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty damn close to exactly what he said. Robert said, Christian, oh, he himself drives a Hertz Olds, but yes. And then Michaels cuts in and he's like, yes. a, what a hearse? And he's right. like, no, Hertz, yes. Hertz. Then there's this whole conversation. And they never go back to it. And they never circle back to it. He, he Michaels never says. But getting back to my original question, what car were you driving? Like that's yeah. never actually asked or, or or clarified. Yeah, and my and 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 my opinion of it is, like, what is clear is that Robert wasn't talking about what they were driving that night. Again, he, the words that that I remember him saying were, "He himself drives a Hertz Olds," but yeah, that's exactly. And, and 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 you can almost quote me. I won't say quote because I may have a couple words, but right. but, but I do recall he himself. Yeah, and, and then he gets interrupted. But, and then yeah. gets interrupted. Yeah. Okay, and then that's basically it. We always have questions from wonderful listeners who are hoping that we are moving towards perhaps helping with alternate suspects um, yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, so that's a question from from Donna. Very happy with the work uh, that Truth and Justice is doing and, and, you know, coming back to that place of hoping that maybe that helps you know, draw a finer line around the story itself if we can look at other people. So yeah, that's, that's not, we're not quite there yet, but that's where we're going. What I, what I want to do is now that we're done with the trial and the full case against Robert and Christian, I want to do a very, a very bullet pointed. Normally this would be when we had somebody from the guilty side come in and we have that conversation. Nobody wants to do that. Um, so uh, I want to lay out very clearly. This is the, 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 the points of the state's case that they believe proved their guilt. And this is, you know, whatever issues I have with those, what stands, what doesn't. And this is the case of for innocence, why I believe these guys are innocents. Very clear, concise, boom, 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 boom. One, just to kind of wrap that part up. And two, I, what I want to do is I want to have an episode where people um, can can take a link for, you know, if somebody say, hey, I want you to, I, I want you to hear about this about this case and why they're innocent, where they can say, here's a link to a 40-minute show that summarizes a year and a half's worth of work that's boom, 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 boom. This is why uh, I, I believe they're innocent. So I, I, I want to do that. And then it's alternate suspects. Um, and and there, and there are some folks that have been like way ahead of me on this uh, that, that have been in contact with me. Uh, shout out uh, listener Caroline, listener Jake, um, that have been doing like a ton of work and have been sending me stuff and, and I've been, I'm sure they are chomping at the bit cause they're like, well, what about this and this and this and this, and this. And I keep saying like, I I'm still focused on this. I'm going to get to that. Uh, we will be tapping into that resource big time um, from, from the folks that have been really working on doing a lot of research on alternate suspects. I mean, I have stuff that I know of that I think are, are pretty important that I want to cover. So uh, that'll be coming after that closing episode this Sunday. Um, again, as I mentioned, it, it's, it's a busy week and we've got all this stuff going on with the, with the switchover and me with the graduation graduation, um, 
uh, party this weekend here for my son. Um, so originally I was going to do this Sunday and next Friday off, but it made more sense to um, go ahead and put something out this Sunday as that's the end of our contract with Wondery to get this last episode out. Um, and th- I was thinking about what to do with it. And then I remembered a pair of of interviews that I read a long time ago that just absolutely blew my mind and absolutely don't fit into any category of anything that we're talking about. Okay. It's kind of alternate suspects, but not really, but it's not the case against them. They're just, it's very, into, I believe in the episode, I use the word titillating. Oh, okay. titillating. Today's word is titillating. Um, so that's coming out Sunday. And also it's holiday weekend for everybody here in the United States. It's Memorial day weekend. Um, so it's, it's like a 25, 30 minute episode. Um, that's going to be coming out this Sunday with this, titillating information um and then we'll take our week off to get everything squared away and then we'll be back on with uh the the case for innocence and then the uh alternate suspects great sounds good i'm ready to be titillated i was so hoping you were gonna say that zach (laughs) excellent well be ready buddy be ready uh glad you're feeling better jv the new studio looks great everybody make sure check out uh platonic is the name i was i couldn't pull the name check out platonic on apple uh that that our wonderful amazing and talented co-host janet varney is mm. is she's the star of the no, show no 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 uh, the stars are seth rogan rose Byrne, and some other uh geniuses um but i'm very and janet varney uh, <laughs> up there, yeah. uh so check that out on apple and again if you're anywhere near uh, the Portage, Indiana area, and you got nothing going on tonight, Friday, uh, come on up to Decibels, Decibels on the Rocks and watch me and Zach stand up and try to be funny. Uh, that'll be tonight, $10 at the door. And other than that, uh, everybody, I hope you guys all have a great weekend. Uh, thank a vet and uh, have some good barbecue. Don't drink too much. Be safe. Have fun. Love you guys. We'll talk to you next two weeks from now. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink, and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by me, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnick, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. For all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. 
This has been Dan Justice.